grew up in a pretty legalistic, religious uh, environment, and somewhere along the way, unintentionally or intentionally, maybe both at times, I picked up this idea that I better keep my act together. I better cross every T and dot every I, Jacob. He likes to cross his I's and dot his, I mean, cross his I's, whatever it is. He does it backwards. Somewhere I picked up that idea that if I didn't do all of those things to stay on God's good side, I wouldn't. And staying on God's good side was the most important thing I could get done in my life. And I didn't understand it at the time, but uh, we talk about these kinds of things a lot. So you know I'm an Enneagram One, and Enneagram Ones tend to manage their lives by being really good, perfect if possible. And so uh, you put that personality type with that religious environment, and it was a real double whammy for me. Somewhere I began to hear some uh, teachers, preachers on the radio, and I began to read some books that hinted at the idea that maybe, maybe God loved me differently than what I thought. Maybe love was defined in some other way, that maybe grace really was amazing, as we sang about a couple of minutes ago. Maybe I didn't have to earn it, keep it, prove I was worthy of it. And uh, when I first began hearing things like that, I thought, surely that's too good to be true. Surely that, that, that would just be amazing if that were true. But because that idea had captured my imagination, my heart, I couldn't let it go. If there were even a possibility of that, I had to know. And it kicked off about a 10-year journey for me of um, exploring and reading and studying and praying and having conversations with other people, hoping against hope that grace was really amazing. Being a quote-unquote, notice the quotes, being a good boy, I kept on checking all the boxes very carefully during that 10-year time because I wasn't about to presume upon God just in case. One day, uh, I was in the car after work. It was my second year of teaching, I remember. It was my first year here teaching here in the Fredericktown School District, and I was driving home, and my car radio was on, and uh, Dr. Charles Stanley came on, and he was preaching a sermon. I don't remember a word that he said. I only remember the name of it, uh, that the truth will set you free. And I don't know what was different on that particular day. <clears throat> I just remember being so deeply compelled on that day to believe that God loved me no matter what. That that's, that that's what love looks like. Not because I was always a good boy or I kept it all together perfectly. I think about it like this these days, not because I was really good at being really good, but because he's really good. <laughs> Something on that day just clicked. It was, I mean, I, I already... I already knew, well, there was nothing new that he could say that I hadn't already studied or read or heard or had conversations with people about over the past decade. But on that day, something inside me decided, I want that so badly, I'm going to surrender to that love today. I'm just going to surrender with trust that that is who God really is. Because living on a treadmill of perfection was gutting me. I felt like my soul was suffocating 
and I needed to breathe. And that day I decided, I'm going to take a big gulp of this amazing grace air, and I'm never going to let go of this. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry about being a little emotional this morning, uh, but um, this is one of the most profound, probably out of four or five or six spiritual experiences of my life. This is maybe at the top, but it's one of the biggest. And what happened for me is something inside me, it was almost like a dam burst inside me. I started weeping uncontrollably, driving down the road to the point that I thought, I'm not going to be able to drive. I was driving past my mom and dad's driveway, and so I pulled into their driveway, and I sat in the car for a little bit, just bawling my head off. And then I realized their cars weren't there. I'm like, oh, they're not here. So I got out and went into the living room, and I sat in their living room, and I cried some more. Like, I could not stop crying because this goodness just, like, overwhelmed my soul, you know? I, I'm that loved. I'm just, I'm just going for it. <laughs> and I decided I would just start acting like it was true that God loved me, not because I figured out how to stay on his good side, but because he just loved me. Turns out, by the way, that's the only way real love ever works. <laughs> I just hadn't quite caught up with that idea yet. And so uh, that afternoon changed my life forever. You've probably figured out by now if you've been around here very long that I would say the single biggest thing I've staked my entire adult life on is that God is love, and he loves me, and he loves you. And there's not a thing we can do about that except accept it. And it brings me to some good news I get to proclaim for all of us today. The really good life, it isn't for the pretty and the perfect or the powerful. Put in anything you want there. All the people who look like they keep it all together and have it all together and everything's just going right for them. It's, it's not really for those people. It's when we're broken and at the end of our rope that we actually have more room for God. We are blessed when we trust that the imperfect are perfectly loved. And friends, if that's true, and I'm all in on it, you'll have to decide for you, but if that's true, that is the single biggest game changer in a human life that I have ever heard of or could possibly imagine. We're starting a series this fall on the Sermon on the Mount, which I talked a little bit about last week. It's Jesus' most famous teaching. He starts it with nine statements that we've come to call over the years the Beatitudes. And uh, the Beatitudes are so beautiful and so surprising, so shocking, so astonishing, that if you actually listen to what Jesus is saying, like if you, if you move past all the times you've heard this in church or Sunday school or whatever over the years, and uh, you just listen to Jesus like for the very first time this fall, you will find yourself saying, seriously, seriously, Jesus? And last week we set the table. We, we asked the question I think is foundational. Why should we take Jesus seriously? Who made him the expert? Why are we listening to this guy? When we talk about learning from Jesus all the time here at Meadow Heights, why? Why him? What's he know about being a good human, you know, that other people don't know or whatever? Why is he the expert? And so we dug into that. And if you missed it, seriously, I mean this. Uh, if you're in the room, if you're online, go catch up. It's out there everywhere. So grab one of those channels this week and get it because it's laying the foundation for this entire series. By the way, a couple of quick notes uh, relative to that story I told about uh, my Equinox 
burning oil last week that I should probably clear up before we move any further. Uh, one, uh, thank you to the gentleman who texted in some information about equinoxes and their uh, burning of oil and so forth and, you know, kinds of things that somebody like me should probably know about that. Um, I won't name the person, but thank you, Richie. <laughs> Thanks also for sending it to Jeremiah, not me. <laughs> he made sure I got it. <laughs> Seriously, it was good information, uh, and I appreciate the thoughtfulness. Also, when I got home, Brenda's like, you made it sound like we never service our automobiles or something like that. So just in case anybody's worried about us not getting regular service, believe me, I'm religious about that. Remember, I check boxes, so uh, it's all, they're all good. I just am not the one who does it. So in case that's really uh, sticking for somebody, I just wanted to clear all of that up before we jump in. Um, but today... As we lean into this sermon, remember that the sermon's taking place after Jesus has been baptized. He spent 40 days alone fasting and praying in the wilderness, kind of getting ready. He's come back to town. He's begun to heal a few people. He's freeing people from demonic oppression. Some really amazing things are happening, and the news is getting out, you know? It's spreading all over. There's this unusual rabbi from Galilee. You got to hear this guy. He talks like nobody else. One of his biographers, Matthew, records that large crowds, thousands and thousands of people sometimes, would show up to see what Jesus the rabbi was going to say or do next. That's what's happening when this sermon takes place. There's a large crowd. Jesus goes up to some elevated place that over years we've come to call the Mount so that he'll have a better vantage point for speaking to everybody. So imagine this scene. They're all spread out on the grass with their picnic baskets and blankets and Yeti coolers and... Uh, just going to tailgate the afternoon away, you know, listening to the rabbi. And, uh, and so Jesus begins to speak. And they, they wonder, is he going to say the kinds of things we hear our rabbis usually say? Uh, because they're used to this. This is a big part of their culture, okay? And uh, they've got like, oh, 600 and something boxes they're supposed to check for God all the time. That's what they've been told for centuries. Is he going to talk about some of those things? Is he going to give us some new expectations? Maybe that God, is he going to tell us how badly we're doing at one of those or something? And so they're all ears. They're ready to take notes, so to speak. But friends, <laughs> they had no category for this good news that I'm proclaiming to you today. That the really good life isn't for the pretty and the perfect who keep it all together. It's actually when we're broken. It's when we're at the end of our rope that we have more room for God <laughs> We're blessed when we trust that the imperfect are perfectly loved. They, that would not even compute for them in their own very legalistic religious environment. So Jesus opens his mouth, and the first words to come out are, blessed are. Now, we're going to hear these words a lot because every one of these nine statements, he starts with the same two words, blessed are. Everybody say, blessed are. You're going to hear that the entire fall, all right? Now, before we find out how he finishes that sentence, let's first be sure we're clear what he means by blessed, okay? Uh, what, what does that look like? Um, is it like bless you if you sneeze? Is it like you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, we're all blessed, <laughs> Well, in the ancient world, they had two categories for blessing statements. The most common by far was statements of instruction. So it's when you would hear something like, if you do this, then you'll be a blessed person. If you live like this, you'll be blessed. So obey and be blessed, be generous and be blessed, and so forth. So told how to live, 
Very common. The less common type of blessing statement was a statement of surprise. So occasionally there would be some word from God to his people that would just help them know how to hold on when they were struggling. So it's like you might say to a friend when you're basically saying, hang in there, don't give up, hold on, you can do it. The dawn is coming or whatever that is. So it was more like, I'm going to bless you so you stay in the game, okay? Those were statements of surprise. So Jesus starts. They've heard these kinds of things a lot. Blessed are. Probably going to give us some more instructions. That's typical for rabbis. And instead, he gives them Nine statements of surprise. John Ortberg writes, the Beatitudes are designed to shock people into realizing that now the blessing, the good life, that we all drive ourselves crazy and frantic and busy trying to grab hold of, the good life, the really good life, life in the kingdom is now available to anyone who wants it through personal contact with this man, Jesus. Super important for us to get this. You're going to listen to it all fall. What's he mean by blessed are? Is he telling us we need to try harder to live like this? He is not. (laughs) That's what they were used to. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is people who are already like this are living the good life. They're the ones who get it. He's, you might say this, he's being descriptive of what it looks like to live a blessed life. He's not prescribing to everybody, go out there and shoot on yourselves until you can do it this well. Okay? Big difference. Sky Jothani says it like this, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount isn't a to-do list, it's a good news list. Isn't that a great way to have it in your brain? Jesus is not giving you another to-do list. Blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Wait a second. Who uses the word blessed and the next word out of their mouth is the word poor? Seriously, Jesus? (laughs) Poor in spirit sounds like Eeyore, doesn't it? Oh, no. We're all doomed. (laughs) That's not what Jesus is saying here. Here's what he's saying. And by the way, that crowd, it resonated with them. This resonates deeply with me. Regardless of what you've been told, being on good terms with God is not about being really good at being good. It's not about putting yourself down and feeling like you have no value either. It's just about getting real. It's about you being able to admit that you've given God all kinds of reasons not to bless you. It's about being okay with the fact that you're just not always okay. It's about understanding and being honest that no matter how hard you work at it and no matter how hard you polish your public image, sometimes it's all falling apart on the inside anyway. That's poor in spirit. Do you remember whenever uh, the mine collapsed in the country of Chile in 2010, I think, Remember the 33 miners who were trapped underground for 69 days? We were all following that saga, like, are they going to get rescued? Are they still going to be alive and so forth? They were 2,300 feet below the surface. You can't rescue yourself when you're buried 2,300 feet down. You are totally helpless. You are totally dependent on somebody else who cares to come to your rescue. Doesn't mean you're not loved. Doesn't mean you're not missed. Doesn't mean people don't feel for you. Just nothing you can do about it. 
right? That's poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is just admitting reality. It's like people who are honest enough about themselves to say, I've fallen short so many times. About the time I think that I have it all together and I know better, I collapse in some other way. And I'm pretty sure I'm never going to keep a perfect track record in this lifetime. That's poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is simply being able to accept that the really good life isn't for the pretty and the powerful and the perfect and whoever else that is who keep it all together, who look like they've just got life by the tail. It's when we're broken. It's when we're at the end of our ropes. We end up with more room for God. We're blessed when we trust that the imperfect are perfectly loved. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he talks a lot about heaven in this sermon. In fact, there's not a subject Jesus talks about more than the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's his favorite theme. If you don't get what he means by heaven, you're not going to get the sermon. If you don't get what he means by heaven, you're not even going to get Jesus because <laughs> this is a big deal. So let's just be sure we know what he means before we go on any further. The kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about God's people. He's not talking about the church. He's not talking about a bunch of churches, all the churches, all the Christians through all of time. He's not talking about where you go after you die. He's using a word here that's kind of like the way we would use the word skies to describe the atmosphere, like we're living in the atmosphere right now. It's all around us, right? But we'll actually name it like the skies up there or whatever instead of everywhere. He's using a word like that to say that the kingdom of heaven is right here with you in me right now. Dallas Willard says that the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. In other words, where love rules and all evil is rendered powerless, that's the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about all the time. And so he's basically saying there's a new way of living that's available to you right now. There's a whole different way of being human, and you could get in on it right this minute. You, better than a new car, new car, new car, new car, you are deeply, wildly, extravagantly loved by God, and you could start living like that's true right now. God has made his life available to you to step into. You can start living a life with God right now. There's nothing you have to do to get God to love you any more than he already does, and there's not a thing you'll do to ever lose it. Just start living like it's true. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. See, here's the thing. If you wait to enjoy your life with God till you think you can finally pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or you can keep it all together or you can be good enough that you wouldn't, I mean, if you were God, you'd probably love you. If that's what you're waiting for, never going to happen. And you're missing the joy, the thrill of just knowing what it's like to be loved because somebody chose to love you, of being able just to enjoy that rather than you having to prove it or earn it. Friends, here's the good life. 
The good life is not for the pretty and perfect and all those other categories we often chase and think, if I could just have all that, I'd finally have it all together. I'd be living a good life. That's not the good life. The good life, my friend, is for the broken. It is for the people at the end of their rope because we find God usually when we're in that situation, more capacity for God opens up in our lives and we are blessed when we trust that the imperfect are perfectly loved. That's that's who are blessed. Jesus surprises the crowd among the coolers and blankets and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones who get it among us today. They're the ones who know that God's love is really real. That's the good life. That's what he says on that mountain that day. I think one of the reasons that our Get Real group toolkit has been changing my life so much over the last few years is because it's helping me learn even better how to surrender to the love that I experienced in my car driving down that road 35 years ago. Like there's some, there's some tangible ways that I haven't fully been able to get my head around it over the decades necessarily, and it's like it's opened up whole new vistas to me that that extravagant, reckless love of God that I embraced in that car is available today and tomorrow and in this tangible moment, there's some way I can trust that love. Like there's a way my body can get involved in saying, I'm just going to lean into that like it's true. I'm just going to live that and see what happens. A few months ago, I was processing something with a friend, and it was a difficult situation. It was a situation where I just didn't know what to do. I didn't have the answers. I couldn't imagine. And my friend paused and said, Brian, let's just stop for a second. Um, if you were... If you were sitting here with Jesus today and he were listening to what you just said, what, what do you think Jesus would say back to you? You'd think after decades of following Jesus, I would have thought of that. You would think pastors would be the ones who know this stuff. And I do. And I often say it to you, to other people. I badly needed somebody to say it to me that day. And as soon as he said those words to me, I knew what Jesus would say. Because I've been letting Jesus love me for 35 years now. And I've just been embracing this idea that it's, as, it's every bit as good or better than I ever imagined or heard. And I could just hear what Jesus would say. And it didn't solve the situation. The problem didn't go away. Something shifted in me. All of a sudden, in that, in that moment, I knew I can trust God with this. <laughs> I can trust God. He's got this. As we said earlier, he's always with us. He's always working. He's the way maker. Right? And I knew it. And friend, that's what perfect love looks like when it gets on the loose in your life. And, and then just, just to lean in one more minute on that idea, it's one of the reasons we love this uh, question. I think I heard Andy Stanley say it first, but we use it a lot around here. What does love require of you? I love that question. Because once you've experienced that kind of love, you want everybody else to have it too. Amen. Like, you know, this is what people need. This is what Carrie was looking for that morning she walked in here for the very first time. And, and you want to be able to be the kind of person that something flows through you towards the people around you so that they can understand they are so loved by God as well, right now in this moment. And friends, that's how we believe God's kingdom comes and his will gets done on earth as it is in heaven, is when we participate in that love with God in that way. Uh, Brendan Manning is one of my favorite authors, as many of you know. 
He's impacted me immensely over the years. He's also a recovering alcoholic. He tells the story of one particular drinking binge when uh, it had been going on for several days. He was sleeping on the streets in filthy clothes. He woke up one morning in a doorway covered in his own vomit, and uh, as he woke up, he heard a mother and a little girl walking by, and he heard the mom say to her daughter, Honey, you stay away from people like that. They're nothing but garbage. Brennan was telling the story years later, and he said, now I'm a best-selling author, and I speak all over the world. <laughs> but God loved me just as much on that morning in the streets of Fort Lauderdale as he does today. He said, there's nothing I can do to get him to love me more or to love me less. And the same is true for you. He loves you just as you are and not as you should be because none of us will ever be as we should be. That is poor in spirit, friends. And that's what it looks like to come alive in God's kingdom, to get real in a way that the truest thing about you is that you are beloved by God and you're going to try to figure out how to just live in that, you know? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to go. But I want us to take a moment or two just to sit with this before we leave. And it's possible that someday this week, you're going to mess up. <laughs> you're not going to measure up. But no matter how hard you're trying to keep it all together, it'll fall apart. And I want you to imagine that when you're in that moment feeling that pressure or that disappointment that it's kind of like living life with a closed fist man you're just white knuckling trying to get her done hold it together don't don't fall apart don't give in whatever that is in fact if it's helpful to you you might even want to put your hands in your lap right now and just ball up your fist just so you can feel what that's like to live such a constricted way and I just want to ask you to imagine that when that moment happens this week, what if instead you would just embrace the fact that the good Father loves you? No matter how messy your reality is in that moment, that you can trust him, that he loves you as much as he says he does and Jesus shows us he does. And what if you would decide, I'm just gonna stop striving and rest? <laughs> I'm just gonna be poor in spirit. Can you imagine the relief, the joy of knowing that this is not about you keeping a perfect track record. This is about a good God who loves you no matter what. Can you imagine just releasing those fists, if you will, and letting all of that go? And you might want to do that right now if you've got yours all balled up in your lap. To say, God says, I can live like this right now. The loved one. You might even whisper to the Father, I trust your love. I accept your love. I let go of my need to earn it and prove I deserve it or to keep it. I trust that you love me as I am and not as I should be. <laughs> I'm just going to act like that's true. Friend, I think that would be a game changer. I have a feeling that's the good life. <laughs> it sure has been for me. Let me pray for us. 
Father, my heart is both heavy and full today. And it's days like today that I'm more grateful than I know how to say that you love me, that you love everyone in this room, everyone who's joined us online. I'm so grateful, Lord, that Wanda knew your love, that Carrie discovered your love right here in this space with us. I thank you that your grace is more amazing than we've ever been able to imagine, that your love is deeper and higher, wider and better than we'll ever get our heads around in this lifetime. I thank you that you've said there's no condemnation for those of us who are living this new life in Christ Jesus. I'm so grateful that you are love. Father, we need this good news because none of us in this room are as we should be. <laughs> We're not sure we will be over the next seven days either. But God, we are grateful to know that we are loved. Help us surrender to it, to trust it, to live in it this week in more tangible ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Friends, one more time, take this with you. The really good life isn't for the pretty and perfect and everybody who keeps it all together. It's when we're broken. It's when we're at the end of our rope that we have more room for God. And we are blessed when we trust that the imperfect are perfectly loved. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that, friends, is good news. Seriously. Jesus, thank you for that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I pray this week that you are able to live fully in the love of God, and that uh, the songs that Stacy gave us and the good news that we get from the Word today will accompany you through every one of those challenges that you will probably face between now and next Sunday. And how about this? Next Sunday morning, let's start our week together. All right? <laughs> I love you. You're dismissed. Have a great week, friends.